Let us pray together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sins. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And the assurance of pardon from Psalm 51, 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What a gift through the blood of Jesus Christ that we stand before him clean, whole, and forgiven. Declared righteous by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What kind of God do we serve? What kind of God do we worship? Friends, let's stand and sing together, Behold Our God.
particular hymn makes me think of the passage out of Romans, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And think about it. He has stooped down to allow us and to do everything that is required so that we can actually have union with him and commune with him. It's not just that he's way up there and we're down here and we don't connect. God is transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray to the God who's with us using Jesus' prayer that he taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Nothing can compare with who you are, Father. And to think that we have the privilege and the right and the joy because of Jesus Christ to come before your throne of grace, to wrestle for your kingdom, wrestle for your glory, to offer you praise and adoration, to glorify and magnify your name, and to wrestle for the needs of others. Lord, we do hallow your name. For you alone are God, and there is none besides you. You rule over all things, and we praise you for your sovereignty. We praise you that you are the Lord and the King of the universe, the creator of all things visible and invisible, and that all the earth belongs to you. And may you, your glory fill the earth. And we wrestle for your kingdom. We long and ache for your kingdom to come. We recognize how much is wrong with this world. And we ache for you to return, Lord Jesus, to put the world to rights. We ache for the consummation and the new heavens and the new earth. And we pray your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we depend on you for our daily bread. We depend upon you for physical needs, spiritual needs, temporal needs. We're mindful to pray for our brothers and sisters who are hurting who were going through affliction and trial, experience of loss and pain, recovering from surgery, long-term chronic recovery and chronic pain. People who are suffering and we don't know the needs. There are so many. Father, we thank you that you see us and that you know us and that you come near to us. And Father, today we pray for the installation of our leaders. Lord, we thank you for our leaders. We thank you for the elders and deacons who have so faithfully served, and we thank you for those who are being installed today onto our diaconate and onto our session. And Lord, we depend upon you. May we not rely upon ourselves for anything. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have what it takes to do the job. We need your Spirit to anoint us, to equip us, Forgive us for our pride. We are a proud people. 
And we ask that you would lead the diaconate and lead the session by your spirit. That we would be the church that you want us to be. That we would be salt and light here at the lake and in this community. That we would love our neighbors. We would engage with our neighbors. And so, Father, we pray your anointing upon this. We ask as a church we would not be led into temptation, the temptation to do it ourselves, the temptation to depend upon ourselves, but you would deliver us from evil and deliver us particularly from the evil one who prowls around, scheming like a lion, seeing who he can pounce upon, and he would love to pounce upon us. So we ask your nurture and your protection. Protect us from division. Protect us from our own preferences. Protect us from our own agendas. For we acknowledge and we praise you that the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever. And we pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
I don't know about you all, but I have certainly felt like through especially the music today, what a God-centered, and I love when our focus is truly on God. We need to switch gears for one week. We, I promise we are, Lord willing, I have to say that, Lord willing, planning on getting back into Romans. It's just one week we're taking off that. But because we are installing, so a little, again, PCA Insider Baseball, whenever we have that time where we install elders and deacons, and I say that because if you are either the PCA is new or you're visiting with us, whatever, I'm trying to communicate what's going on. We try to have a focus in the message on the topic of leadership. And so this morning we are going to be looking at the shepherd leader out of Acts chapter 20. So if you have Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. It's a fairly lengthy, you know, there's a difference between like letters when Paul is speaking and sometimes it can be a short passage. And when you get into things like the Gospels and Acts and some of the Old Testament passages, they're narratives and they're a little bit longer. So bear with me as we look at this. The context for this is Paul's on his third missionary journey. He's been to a city in Ephesus, preached the Gospel there, as often happens, got into trouble there, because when you're missional and you preach the gospel, some are going to like you, some are not going to like you. Your message is going to draw some, and your message is going to repel others. So that led Paul to need to leave the city of Ephesus, and so while he's in a town by the name of Miletus, he called for the elders of the church, the Ephesians elders, and this is his address to them. He is speaking to the elders at the church at Ephesus. So I will pick up Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, 
remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are our teacher, and we ask that you would teach us what you want us to grasp from your word this morning. Apply to our lives, not just for information, but for transformation, this particular text. How you intend to use it in our lives, in our church's life, and even for the sake of our community's life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before you begin to think, okay, Jeff's speaking to the elders and deacons. I'm just a lay person. I don't have to pay attention. Uh, not so fast. This word, even though it's spoken, here's the difference between leaders and followers. The application from this word is to all of us. All of us are to do things like testify to the gospel of God's grace. Pay attention to ourselves. Watch out. We're to learn from this. What is the difference between leaders and followers? Leaders are to be pace setters. They're to be the ones out front setting the pace. Another word you could use is they are the ones called to be change agents, influencing those who are following toward the desired change. So we need to recognize, as we introduce this particular passage, the call is the same. Leaders are called to set the pace. But when we look at the text before us, it's not that what the leader is called to and what the followers are called to are any different. So here's Paul on his third missionary journey. He's previously spent time in the city of Ephesus planted that church, established elders and deacons there. Now he's continuing traveling. He's about 30 miles south from Ephesus in the city of Miletus where he sent for the elders of the Ephesians church. He's gathered the elders and he begins to speak to them. So here we have a direct address from Paul to a particular church, which makes this a very important passage for us for understanding the role and the function of the leader, the elder and deacon within the church. Now, before I dive into some of the particulars of the text, one brief point. In verse 17, Paul calls for the elders of the church, and the word he uses there is the word presbyteros, from which we get our English word Presbyterian. You know what it means to be Presbyterian? Presbyterian is not the set of beliefs we hold. Presbyterian simply means how we're governed. Presbyterian is different than Reformed theology or our covenantal set of beliefs. It comes from the word presbyterios. Later, in verse 28, he says the Holy Spirit has made them overseers of the church, and he uses another word, episkopos, which is bishop or overseer. So here's Paul saying leaders, elders, bishops, overseers, and he's describing all these terms to describe 
the same person. Elders and pastors are the same office. They're not two separate offices. So what do we learn about leadership, and in particular about the shepherd leader from this passage? That is true for all of us. Because we all have a sphere of influence. Every single one of us is leading families, kids, grandkids. If you're at work, you have people who are watching. If you're a Christian, you are salt and light. People are watching you. You are a leader. Whether you want to be, some of us are very reluctant leaders, but you all have people watching you, which makes you a person of influence. So what do we learn about leadership from this passage? We learn that a leader's life or the shepherd's life is three things. It is a called life, it is diligent life, and it is a sacrificial life. Look with me at verse 24 when Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What is Paul doing? He is here sharing his perspective, his viewpoint on his life. Notice the, I don't account, I don't think about my life as of any value nor as precious to myself. In other words, I don't live for my own comfort. I don't live in my comfort zone and say, I have to protect myself above all things. He says, I don't count my life of any value whatsoever, nor as precious to myself. I don't hold on to it. If only I may finish the call that God has placed upon me. The call of testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. There's a man by the name of Bobby Clinton who years ago wrote a book on leadership. And this is what he says about leadership. He says, effective leaders view present ministry in terms of a lifelong development perspective. The difference between leaders and followers is perspective. The difference between leaders and effective leaders is better perspective. Effective leaders have better perspective. I don't know about you, but I take great hope from that particular quote. Because when he says effective leaders view present ministry in terms of a lifelong developmental perspective, part of what he's saying is we never arrive. We're always developing. I love that, because at age 60, I feel like, do I know anything about leadership yet? And to me, it gives me great hope and great encouragement that, oh, wait a second. It's a continual journey of growth and cultivation. Perspective is all about mindset, all about how we view things. And the Bible pretty clearly says to all of us that how we view things determines how we live. That our mindset, our attitude, our perspective will determine how we live. That's why Paul says to the Romans, see, I snuck some Romans in there for you today. That's why Paul says to the Romans that we are transformed, we grow, we develop, we change. How? By the renewing of our minds. That's not just information, that's all the inner faculties of our heart and soul. That's letting the truth of God's word govern and shape us so that it shapes 
the information I bring in, the faith I feed it, the truth I live by, the affections, my desires, my likes, my loves, my emotions. It is renewing my inward being, and the result is growth. Now, sometimes that growth may feel what? Like, that big? Minuscule? But it's still growth through the renewing of our minds. Paul says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So what was Paul's perspective on his life? First, he says he considered his life not even worth living if he didn't obey the call of God on his life. His life was worth nothing to him. So the first part of Paul's perspective was that his life was not his own. He didn't call his own shots. This is not just whether you're in vocational ministry. This is to all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, very foundational to who you are is you are surrendering your right to autonomy. You do not belong to yourself. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are not our own, we were bought with a price. Do you know what that price is? That price was the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the life of Jesus Christ given to God as a ransom to purchase you. So you don't make decisions on your own. Yes, you make decisions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you know how different we would be if it became foundational to us that we don't belong to ourselves? We don't call our own shots. We are not the determiner of our own happiness. Next was that he was given a task by the Lord. And, that, and he was committed to completing the task. For Paul, it was the missional task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Again, do you realize we've all been given that missional task? The church, corporately, is salt and light to the world. The church, corporately, is called to go and make disciples of all nations. Leaders set the pace. Leaders are change agents, pursuing the desired change from point A to point B. But all of us have been given the missional task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So no matter what role he was doing, no matter what task he was about, no matter what role he was fulfilling, he was all about his call of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now one quick application before we move on. You can't testify to the gospel of God's grace if you don't know the gospel of God's grace in your own life. And that's more than just going from being a non-believer to a believer or a non-Christian to a Christian. Friends, let me ask you, how much are you tasting God's grace in your life personally? How much is receiving, not just asking for, but really receiving and drinking from the well of forgiveness a part of your daily rhythm? That every day, every day, you know, we do sin against the Lord. We violate his law and we violate his love. We sin against his great love for us. Every day, even though we're not our own, we take autonomy into our own lives. How well do you know the grace of God? Are you tasting and drinking from that well? So that as Jesus said in the Gospel of John, it's like rivers of living water that are flowing from within you.
That's what the Spirit-led life looks like, because John even said, by this, Jesus is talking about the Spirit, who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But Jesus has been glorified. Pentecost is all about his pouring out the Spirit. And as we believe on Jesus, receive his forgiveness, and are living in that constant union, abiding with him, rivers of living water, we are becoming life-giving to others. Do you consider your life not worth living, not even precious to yourself, if those rivers of living water are not flowing from you? Can you imagine what kind of church we could be if we would be that kind of life-giving to Lake Oconee, to this community around us? Now, what's the opposite of a called life? See, that's a called life, and that's an exciting life. That's an adventurous life. The opposite of a called life, though, is a driven life. Now, think about these two things. If you're not called, you're driven. The driven life is a stressful, anxious, insecure life, where a called life is a free, adventurous, liberated life. If God's given you the task, you know what? God's responsible for the results. That makes you unbelievably liberated and free. You're not responsible for the results. You're not your own. God's responsible for you. You can be free and liberated to simply follow that particular call. So, Friends, that's the first part of a leader's job description, of the shepherd leader. They're called, sometimes reluctantly, but we're called nonetheless. Look with me now at verse 28. A leader's life is a diligent life. And the first part of verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Now I'm speaking particularly to the leaders now. You cannot keep watch, either as an elder or a deacon, over the church of God unless you're first committing yourself and dedicating yourself to keeping watch over yourselves. Keeping watch or paying careful attention, and notice it says pay careful attention to yourselves. That means we don't just do it over our individual lives, but each other's lives. Oh, this is dangerous. I'm really stepping on toes now because do you know what this means? Yes, we are our brother's keeper. We are called to watch over each other's life. And now let me say something that's freeing. We need each other to watch over our lives. If the heart is deceitful, like Jeremiah says, above all things and desperately sick, I don't know enough about me to keep watch over my life. I'm not smart enough to, by myself, all alone, keep watch over my own life. I need the body of Christ. The question is, are we vulnerable enough to do that? Are we humble enough to do that? Or again, are we have the perspective, the mindset, that our lives are our own? I'm not letting anybody else in. I'm not letting anybody else in. But notice the order here. We, are we have to be diligent in keeping watch over ourselves first, then the church. It's kind of like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, first take the plank out of your own eye. Now think about it. How big is a plank? Take the plank out of your own eye. The plank prevents you from seeing. Then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your bro brother's eye. See, why would this keeping watch over ourselves be so important? It recognizes our own flawed, sinful natures. It recognizes our own need. 
And see, we have to recognize the influence we have over others. This is an issue of spiritual authority. We want to be a safe place for ourselves and others, a place where we could go to with vulnerability and transparency. And I don't know about you all, I'm much more likely to go to somebody who I know they are first going to confess their faults before they're going to find all the faults in me. One of the things that makes me so sad as a pastor, as a leader, is the number of times I have heard Christians say they would never share their deepest, darkest secrets with other Christians. They'll talk to non-Christians, and you know why that is? Because they find Christians to be judgmental. We need to take the plank out of our own eye before we can take the speck, the little tiny speck. Now, we're called to take the speck out of our brother and sister's eye, but first, take the plank out of our own eye. Confess your selfishness and your self-protection and the ways you deny and all the things, your flaws, your vulnerabilities, your anxieties. Working on character and in leadership, have you ever noticed every time Paul speaks, I'm speaking from Acts today. I could speak on Timothy next time and do the same thing. He always talks about character over giftedness. It is always character first before the most gifted and charismatic of people. It's always character and then competence. And character involves owning your stuff. Doesn't mean never making a mistake doesn't mean we don't blow it, and sometimes we blow it hugely. One of the mentors in my life was a man by the name of Steve Childers. Steve Childers is a dear friend, pastor in the PCA, missionary now, and he said he was teaching a class one time at RTS Orlando, and I was in his class, and he said, I want to lay a challenge out before us. We're good at making the same old mistakes and repeating them over and over and over again. We do that all the time. He says, I dare us, let's make some new mistakes. Let's blow it big time and make new mistakes. Now, does he want us to do that? Not really, but do you get the heart and the energy and the dynamic of that? If you're living a called and a diligent life where you're free, if you're receiving and living out of the grace of God, you're free to make new mistakes. Why? What's the worst that happens? Oh, you ask Jesus to forgive you. And what did the cross accomplish? Only everything. He said, it is finished. See, when we're not vulnerable and we're not confessing to one another, do you know what it really means down deep? We really don't believe Jesus' words, it is finished. We really don't think Jesus' death was sufficient for us. We have to add to it by protecting ourselves and putting a little bubble around us. Can you imagine a church where we all were committed to owning our stuff and free to fail and free to confess our failures? Friends, that would be a gospel culture brimming up, and believe me, that's attractive to others. Lastly, the shepherd leader's life is a sacrificial life. Not only are we to pay careful attention to ourselves, but verse 28 says, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
very briefly, our shepherding has to be based on Jesus' shepherding of us. As Jesus says in John 10, he is the good shepherd. Who does what? Who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Who when he has a hundred sheep and one goes missing, he tells the 99, hold on, I'm going to go pursue and seek and save the one. The good shepherd who knows the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and know my voice who sacrifices his life for the sheep. Are we going to do that perfectly? Absolutely not. But as leaders, as under-shepherds, as deacons, as servants, our shepherding, our leadership is to be modeled after and formed after and patterned after the shepherding of Jesus Christ. The good shepherd who nobody made him lay down his life for the sheep, but he voluntarily, on his own, laid down his life for the sheep. Friends, what a good shepherd that we have. And again, we're not going to be perfect. I'm not trying to call us to some standard we can't keep. As a matter of fact, we can't keep the standard. That's why the key to this always is applying the grace of God, living in union, having our lives absolutely tethered to the good shepherd who's Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus' words to us where abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. The key application for us as leaders and as followers is to remain in Jesus. To absolutely stay as close to him as possible to be united to him in all things. Friends, let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the good shepherd who was called to shepherd us. The good shepherd who was diligent and the good shepherd who sacrificed everything. Father, we thank you and we pray now for this time of installation. We pray now for just the gifts you've given to us and we thank you for LOPC Church in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now going to proceed on to installing, and I say installing because all of these men that I'm going to call up in just a minute have been ordained to office previously, and ordination is a perpetual thing. You don't have to become reordained, but when you've stepped aside from office for a period of time, you're then reinstalled. You're installed into office. And so as I ask John Morrison to come up, he's going to be installed as a deacon, and I ask Bill McCartney George Roundtree and Harley Wood to join me up here. They're going to be installed as elders. So as they come up and join in this general area, I try to be complete in my directions. I want to say a word of thanks to Dick Forrester and Ken Johnson, who are rolling off the diaconate as well as Russ Murray and Kent Schumacher and Jim Hildebrand, who are rolling off the session. Now, Jim, and praise God for Jim, because Jeff does not have the gifts of doing these things. Jim is staying on as clerk of the session. And I bet you not only Jeff, but the presbytery is thankful for that, because you would never read a minute I would write. 
that is definitely not my uh, wheelhouse, so to speak. So I'm grateful for Jim staying on. But these men have served, and they are at this point in time rolling off as kind of our bylaws of our particular church asked to do. And so as these men, a reminder for Bill and George and Harley, they are being installed as elders of the church, and that is an office of shepherding, of oversight, of the spiritual oversight, and the governance of the church. They are in the, like I said, there's a lot of PCA insider baseball today. Okay, they are the ruling elders of the church. I am the teaching elder of the church. And that means we have the same office, but slightly different functions. John is being installed today as a deacon. Their office is one of mercy, of service, of sympathy. They follow the great deacon. You know, Jesus Christ was called a diakonos. He said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. And so not only is Jesus the good shepherd, but Jesus is the great deacon. And John is being installed this morning into the office of deacon. And so right now I want to propose to these candidates in the presence of the church the following question, which is their vows before the Lord. Men, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? And do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if any, at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this vow? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? And do you accept the office of deacon and ruling elder in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor, by the grace of God, to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? And do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? And do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? And now to the members of LOPC. Do you, the members of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as deacon and ruling elders? And do you promise to yield them all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which their office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them. If so, then raise your right hands. I would like to ask the elders of the church who are sitting out there to come forward as we lay hands on these men and pray for them. I'd like to ask Russ Murray and Rush Utley if you would pray for these men and then I will close.
Lord tells us that you've given them responsibility to shepherd the flock of God that's been put under their care, not because they must, but because they're willing. And I just ask, Father, that they would abide in you, that they would live out Christ, that they would model Christ, full of his spirit, that we walk in a way that honors you, live out the gospel, speak the gospel, and pray that they would help us, shepherd us, to do the same in this community, make a difference, that the good news might go forth through our lives and through our worlds, and people would come alive spiritually, and they would know you, and it would continue, and it would tell others, just make a, a difference in all of our lives through these men, we pray. Father, we thank you for this day, and we ask that you would uh, use all of us to carry out your services that you have appointed us to carry out, that the church will be willing to listen and to come alongside our brothers, hmm. who we're choosing as leaders, and that they will lead in the way that you would have them to lead. And we do thank you for them, and we will support them as best we can mm. as we move forward. Mm. And we do thank you for this day. In your son's name, Jesus. Mm. Amen. Mm. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for setting apart, choosing, and calling these men to serve in your church. We pray that you protect them from the evil one. We pray, Father, for their spiritual lives that they would be diligent in paying careful attention, keeping watch over themselves and the flock to which you have called them to shepherd in their various functions, in their various roles, through mercy, through service, through oversight, and through governance, that we would all be shepherd leaders. And Lord, we all recognize our need for the Spirit to come to the end of ourselves, to not do it on our own, to abide in Christ, to be led by your Spirit, to flee to you, to run to you, so may we be leaders in the sense of being the chief repenters in, these, in this church, always fleeing from our sin, the nature, the tendencies, the gravitational pulls of our own heart, and running to the cross, and being tethered to the cross, that we'd hide ourselves behind Jesus, who we pray always would increase as we decrease. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers, we offer you the right hand of fellowship. Mm -hmm. George, welcome back, brother. <laughs> now I'm going to ask for George and Bill and Harley and John to stay up here for one more minute. Stay here. I now pronounce and declare that John Morrison has been duly elected and installed as deacon, and Bill McCartney, George Roundtree, and Harley Wood have been elected and installed as ruling elders, agreeable to the Word of God and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such they are entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Men, before I have you sit down, it is incumbent, and you can check later, I'm following the book of church order here, 
to give you, it says, a brief charge or exhortation. Now, I know you all are hungry, and we've invited visitors even to lunch today. This will be a brief charge, not a long sermon. So you all can relax. But my charge to you this morning comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. And here's the context. What is Paul doing? He has raised Timothy up as a leader. And he's basically passing on the gospel baton in all its forms to Timothy because he knows he will soon die. And here's his word to Timothy. He says, you therefore my child. Don't you love that word of tenderness he says, by the way? You therefore my child, be strong in the grace of God. My charge to you today is to be strong. But, not in yourselves, not in your past experiences, not in your giftedness, not in your competence, but in the grace of God. That means you have to be weak in yourselves to be strong in God's grace. And imagine what it would all be like if we were all strong in the grace of God. Running to grace all the time. And so I exhort you men as shepherds, as servants in the Lord's house to keep watch over yourselves and the flock to which he's called you as leaders, being strong in his all-abundant, all-sufficient grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of worship. What a special time it is. We thank you for the installation of these men. We look forward to our working together, and we depend and rely upon you. Pray your blessing upon them and their families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, men. The rest of us get to stand and sing our closing hymn, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us.
now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.